Hey friend, Beth Davis here. In today's episode, we'll be having an adult conversation about more mature subject matter. So if you've got kiddos in the car with you or with an earshot, you may want to save this episode for another time. Thanks. Welcome to The Gathering Place with Blessed Is She. I'm Jenna Gizar. And I'm Beth Davis. Pull up a chair and grab a drink. Or you could just keep doing what you're doing. Pull up a chair in your heart. (laughs) Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hey, Beth. Hey, Jenna. (laughs) How are you doing? So good. I'm so excited about our guests today. Me as well. And they are actually already on the line. So at this point, we're just ignoring them. That's so rude. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Anna. Hi, Shannon. Hi. (laughs) We're so glad that you joined us today. Um, Would you mind introducing yourselves? Sure thing. Yeah, this is Anna. And uh, along with Shannon, we are the co-founders of Eden Invitation. (laughs) I remember when I first saw Eden Invitation online, I loved it right away because your website is beautiful and that's rare in Catholic ministries sometimes. So I loved that. How did it go about starting? Do you mind kind of sharing the genesis of Eden Invitation? Yeah, absolutely. So we kind of stumbled into it in a lot of ways. Uh, For my own part, um, I had been just having to to teach about same-sex attraction and sexuality in general for a number of years as a high school teacher and campus minister, um, but really felt on my heart this desire to like to to be able to do more, you know, especially as you're like standing there in front of the classroom trying to explain this teaching that seems really complicated and controversial and challenging. And there's a kid in the front row with a rainbow bracelet on, mm-hmm. you know, and you're just like, ah, oh, like I wish. I wish I could do more for you, you know, and I wish I could tell you um, my own story, which, you know, includes the experience of uh, same-sex desires and finding a home in the church. And um, I wish I could share this with you. And so it's been on my heart for a number of years to to do something, to say something, to, to write, to speak. And then uh, about a year and a half ago, Uh, just some circumstance in my life kind of aligned to make that a little bit more possible. Uh, And then just in talking it out with some good friends, I shared with Shannon this idea more as like a bouncing off point because we had collaborated on a few different projects before when she worked in college campus ministry. Um, And little did I know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and two, I think for me growing up, so I also share in the experience of same-sex desires, and I think there was just a lot of silence around this topic growing up, Uh, and so I didn't really know how to navigate it. There weren't really many witnesses. Uh, Nobody else was talking from the personal experience, Uh, and so like Anna was saying, she felt like this this call on her heart to start speaking more, Uh, and so with that, when we both found out about a shared experience, immediately the conversation kind of went like, okay, so what, uh, what was most fruitful for you growing up? What do you wish you had heard? Uh, what do you think is needed in a response? And so that really started to uh, work as kind of like a catalyst for for these conversations for Eden Invitation uh, to see that it was it was bigger than just a conversation between us two, but it was an invitation uh, for more, an invitation to the church. Yeah, that's beautiful, Anna. If you don't mind me, I'm I'm curious when you say that you are looking at um, the student in the front row and you're teaching about this. What is it that you felt was lacking in what you were teaching 
that you wish that you could give to that student? You know, I think so often catechesis on this topic is obviously situated within the church's sexual ethic, right? And so we teach about it in succession. We talk about, okay, well, here's what our body, you know, we're, we're embodied and we have, you know, we're sexual beings, male and female, and the sexual act is procreative and it's punitive. And here's a bunch of things that are wrong because <laughs> they're not procreative and they're not unitive. Ta-da! It all makes <laughs> yeah. logical yeah. sense, which is absolutely true. It does make logical sense. It is part of a rich tapestry of uh, the church's sexual ethic. But I think it's also part of a rich tapestry of who we are as humans. And just because you know what you're not supposed to do, quote-unquote, you know what the no is, but you don't always know where your yes is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just knowing what you're not supposed to do, I mean, that doesn't tell me, well, what do I do with these feelings? It doesn't tell me how to have healthy relationships with someone of the same sex, someone of the opposite sex. You know, it doesn't tell me what to do with my desires. It doesn't tell me how to discern my vocation, right? Like the the purpose, the the meaning, my areas of self-gift, just knowing not what not to do doesn't necessarily help me to live an abundant life. Yeah, it feels limiting and sort of self-defeating, right? Right. I, I mean, I think you just know like, okay, well, I'm supposed to keep this part of me, quote unquote, to use cultural terms, under wraps. Mm-hmm. And it can easily then become, uh, the way we've kind of talked about it is like managing. <laughs> so you're just kind of like getting by, right? You're just managing and, and operating uh, almost like out of like a filing cabinet, picking and choosing like, you know, just like how, how I live day to day. And so I think there's a beauty to being able to like unfold the bigger picture um, so that it's not managing, but again, it's, it's living an abundant, vibrant, full life. And that's just something we haven't really been talking about or unfolding with this topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just keep coming back to Anna, what you shared about your experience in the classroom that like, here is the answer. Here's what the church says. And it can feel like that's, should be the end of the story. And I think for many Catholics, they know the teaching, but they don't know the answers to those other questions that you had. And as far as the culture is concerned, the conversation doesn't end there. So we have to have something more to say. Absolutely. Well, I think one of the challenges is that right now, you know, the secular LGBT community is providing a lot of enticing answers and a powerful narrative, an incredibly powerful narrative Mm -hmm. about being yourself and being who you are and finding love community. Exactly. And and to find support in a community in a way that's incredibly compelling to a lot of people, like, especially when it's just so fascinating to me, especially when as a church, right, we talk time and time again about how we're made in the image and likeness of God and how as we're made in the image and likeness of God, who is Trinitarian, that are, we're communal by nature. And there's this desire to give and receive love that's so intimately bound up in the core of who we are. And in fact, it is part of our identity. Like to give and to receive love is part of our deepest identity as human beings. And so here you have people who there's this part of their heart that's like crying out for love, crying out for acceptance, crying out for some degree of mutuality with another human being. And then we just as a church are like, nope, here are the rules. And you just like slap that down on this person who's just like crying out to give and to receive love. And I I just think it's no wonder a lot of people leave over this issue. Mm -hmm. 
and the truth is we have such beauty in the church and we have mm-hmm. such potential for life-giving love, um, first and foremost with the Lord and in prayer and also the potential for really dynamic community life and mm-hmm. self-sacrificial friendships and there's beautiful potential for all of that. And I think that is the narrative we need to be presenting as a church. I mean, we don't want to shy away, obviously, from the truth of what our bodies are are for, but that's part of this broader fabric, this broader context, a bigger story about who we are as people Mm -hmm. and who we're meant to be for each other and the love that we're ultimately made for. Yeah, when we've talked in the past, Shannon and Anna, you guys shared something that was really insightful to me that I would Mm -hmm. love for you to share again. We kind of want to just clarify the language to use, not only for this podcast, but really like moving forward for the rest of our lives. How do we talk about this? Because the culture has one way of talking about same-sex attraction. And at times it feels like the church has a, a different way of talking about it or is afraid to use cultural terms and, and language that the culture has adopted. So h- how do we proceed? You know, I I think it is interesting. You see this big language debate right now in the church. You know, do you say same-sex attraction? Do you say gay? Uh, Are you even allowed to say gay? Or or what does it mean to use it? I mean, you have people of goodwill on both sides of the equation. Because I think for for a number of people, especially the generation that's above us, like baby boomer generation, etc., the term gay is really associated overall with the gay rights movement. You know, and it's associated with this like lifestyle and with this like battle for social acceptance and it's an entire culture. And so you see right now a lot of thinkers in the church and, and, you know, different people in the hierarchy who really come down really hard on the use of the word gay or the use of cultural terms because of that particular association. Um, Whereas I think in the millennial generation, for, for a lot of us, who are a little bit further removed from some of the more mm-hmm. heightened, like social, ju- I mean, there's definitely still a lot of movement in a social justice, quote unquote, vein when it comes to LGBT issues today, but it's less maybe charged with violence and whatnot and, and intensity like it was maybe 20, 30 years ago. And I think for a number of us of the millennial generation, it's an adjective. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of people you're seeing kind of emerging, maybe younger thinkers in this area who do believe in the church's sexual ethic, uh, who see it more as an adjective to describe their experiences of attraction. It's mm-hmm. a lot less syllables. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. just a lot easier to say. And a lot of those thinkers wouldn't associate it with all the baggage that comes from identity and that comes from the, the cultural stuff. But what can get confusing then is some people are using it as an adjective, some people are using it as a noun, some people are using it to describe attraction, some people are using it to describe identity, and it's one simple three-letter word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we fight over it, mm-hmm. and then we forget that people are just wondering how to live their lives, <laughs> but we're just fighting over language, which I mean, words matter, Mm -hmm. but um, just, I think to recognize in your interactions with other people, people are going to be all over the board. They're going to be absolutely all over the board. And even too, all over the board in the use of same-sex attraction, you know, like some people are going to say, I struggle, I experience, or I have, Mm -hmm. Um, and people are just comfortable with different things. And I think part of that though, too, is uh, depending on how the language is used, I think uh, you know, saying like I have same sex attraction or, or whatever it may be. I think there's also been a shift as well. I think some people have shied away from that. 
to some degree out of, uh, I think just like a fear of sometimes feeling like a clinicalization of terminology and, and people wanting to shy away from that personally. And so again, I think people are all across the board with everything, right? With mm-hmm. LGBT terminology, but even to using same-sex attraction as a term, right, right. Uh, the way that that's articulated is also, I think, sometimes confusing as to what, what that even means. Right. And then if you look at church documents, if you look at the catechism, it says homosexual everywhere. You know? yeah. Yeah. No one's using that so much. And I think with like some of the fluidity of sexual attraction and a large number of people that could be described culturally as bisexual, that term doesn't really resonate. It, it's really, it's just really complex and it's really complicated. So I think a, just a thing to note, if there's people in your life with this experience, I think the, the main takeaway that maybe we would offer for that is to say, just ask people what the terms mean to them hmm. and listen, really listen mm-hmm. to their response. Cause it can be easy to make an assumption, but again, like we just shared, depending on where they're coming from or what their background is or they might not be using it the way you think they are. Mm-hmm. I think that can happen often, especially with Blessed Is She, we're always encouraging women to get together and to get to know one another. Mm-hmm. So whether it be in our regional groups or through a Blessed Brunch or through a small group in your area, these women are just now meeting each other. They haven't, you know, they haven't had a friendship. Sometimes they do have friendships that start these small groups or do brunches, but typically you're meeting a, an entirely new person. And so mm-hmm. when someone says, hi, I'm a, you know, I'm a lesbian and kind of giving the rest of their description about themselves. I think it can, it can be surprising. And when you're saying, if you're in a relationship with someone, a friendship with someone, you know, ask them what that means to them. Like, Mm -hmm. but at times, especially in blessed is she, where you're just meeting strangers, I think everyone wants to know what does that mean, but they're not in relationship yet to ask that. Totally. There's not trust there. Right. To to be able to, to ask that in a way that doesn't feel combative, that doesn't feel Mm. that wouldn't put the, the other person on the defense. Right. And again, that's, I think why we're like emphasizing that piece of conversation over assumption Uh, Because again, I think oftentimes people think they're conversing, but they're making an assumption and they're like, well, you shouldn't be using that term. Uh, And so then the person opened the door, right, by saying like, oh, this is part of my experience or however they're wording it. But then people are shutting the door, (laughs) I think, immediately by making assumptions rather than. Then, mm-hmm. then inviting them in or like stepping into right. that doorway, you know? Or, I mean, well-intentioned. I mean, maybe it's not an outright assumption, but like you ladies were saying, there could be a sense of like, I don't actually know what the follow-up is because I don't immediately think of a shared experience, you know, or I don't know. I mean, I'm not married, but I meet someone who's a mom and I can still ask them how many kids they have. You right. know? Yeah. And so you kind of know it's more maybe socially acceptable. You know the right questions to ask as a follow-up. But I think there are questions you can ask as a follow-up. Again, like if someone is saying it and is opening the door in that conversation, I think to not acknowledge it and be like, oh, huh. <laughs> did you grab a mimosa? Is yeah. it hot? <laughs> well, now you just made things awkward. I keep thinking Forgot about, like, I keep yeah. thinking like. If- now I want a mimosa. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, well, and I think that okay. is where the tension is. I'm experiencing this in my own life growing up. There's people who 
believe in the church and who believe in church teaching and who love the church and mm-hmm. want to go to heaven and want to do what the church is asking and they want to be obedient. But there's a part of this church that they don't believe in or that they don't trust or that they are choosing to go against even though they know it and even though they believe in everything else. And so not only just this, not only just struggling with same-sex attraction or same-sex desires, but in other areas of the church and they know what the church teaches, but they're choosing to not do it. And so I think what I've have been struggling with over the past years is how do I continue to love someone and do life with them and show them my love and my support of them, but not condone the sin. And, and I think what I keep coming back to is I'm supporting you and I love you in the way that I can best do that through my lens of truth and through what I believe to be true. And it may not be supporting you or loving you in the way that you want me to be, but this is how I, I best can support you. I'm not sure if that makes sense. And so I'm, I'm wondering if, if you guys experience this, do you have friends that believe in the church and love the church, but still choose to not accept this church teaching? And so how do you go about balancing love and support and presence in their lives at the same time saying, I want eternity for you. And I love you so much that I want the best for you. So I'm not okay with this sin and I'm not okay with celebrating this sin. You know, I think what I struggle with, you know, with that is, I mean, the same way I interact with my friends who never volunteer Mm. with the poor, the same way I interact with my friends who could like give an SHIT about immigration policy. Like, I think there's this reality that we're, we're, it's so easy for us. I think because of this, the, the, importance of the church of sexual ethic is so, so huge. And and we do focus on it so much because it's everything about it. So sacred, but everything about the human person is sacred. Mm -hmm. And for all of us, every single one of us, I mean, yes, there's like a hierarchy of values, you know, but for every single one of us, there are teachings of the church. I mean, I bet you could find a whole bunch of Catholics who would be supportive of the death penalty. You know, you could find a whole, you know, and I mean, how do you love them? You know, I mean, it doesn't come up in everyday conversation in quite the same way, but I think there's this reality that like, we're all in some degree, not fully there yet with every single one of the church's teachings all the time. Um, And I think it's so important to be patient with one another. Uh, It's so important to... I just have that heart of like compassion to see, to see the person and, and maybe they are making these choices, you know, with absolute full knowledge and belligerence and and whatnot. But I don't think that that necessarily needs to separate us from relationship. Um, I think as long as the other person like understands what you believe and know, Mm -hmm. like, look, I'm not like, if you're going to start talking about the, glories of like birth control for your sex life. Like I don't really want to be a part of that conversation Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to celebrate it. And if they're okay with that, 
they're okay with you not celebrating it. And like, then hopefully they'll be respectful enough not to bring that up with you. Mm-hmm. And you guys can like go back to, you know, doing your meal planning for the week together and like watching <laughs> your kids run around in the yard. I don't know, Shan, if you have some thoughts too. Well, and I think but. though too, right? Like we even see in the person of Christ, like Jesus doesn't rush. I think we get really concerned with stuff like this um, of like that. I always have to remind people what I believe, like 24 uh, seven. And again, if, if that's going to be always brought up in every single conversation with you have with this person, once they've opened up to you about their experience or that maybe they don't believe the church's teaching, they're going to shut the door off. I think pretty quickly, if you're always going to bring up the church's teaching and you're always going to bring up how, how they're not abiding by it, you know? And so I think we see, right. Like in the beauty of like Jesus at the well, the woman at the well, right. He's, he doesn't rush. He's very patient and he understands he gets to know her. He's asking her questions before he, he dives into her own life. So a, I think that established trust again is so, so necessary. And again, if there is that mutual understanding and that mutual trust, uh, and you're having these continuous conversations and relationship, there are ways that you can ask kind of like with the label question, right? Like, why are you you identifying with that label? Or what, what does that term mean to you? There are ways that you can ask about like, yeah, what has your experience been with this teaching? Uh, what has that been like for you? Uh, there are ways you can ask it to understand what's like formed their decision rather than to like jump and be like, here's a reminder of the truth. Mm. There are ways that you can understand, yeah, what's shaped their, their, their decision on this. And that's more of an invitation to conversation and long-term conversation and relationship where you can, you can be witnessing your own uh, experience. But again, if you're leading with just like, no, 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 this is what I believe. And you need to be reminded of that that's going to shut the door off. I love what you just said, Shannon, about, you know, asking questions into that conversation. Because I think the part about, okay, we're just not going to talk about this aspect of your life. I think it can then turn into, well, you don't love all of me. You know, like you don't love my whole self. You only love the parts of me that agree with your life or what you believe the truth is. You know, how do we love people, all of them, but also say, this is what we believe in. Because I don't, I don't think it's as civil as our podcast conversation (laughs) makes it sound like it would be, you know, I think, Mm -hmm. I think there are ruptures in relationships over this. And I think it's that age old question of is love tolerance? Yeah. I mean, I I think where can we look, but like the example of Christ Mm -hmm. and I'm just reminded of how, so, so many people wanted Jesus to be something other than what he was in his day. You know, I think it's easier for us to be like, oh, it'd be easier to live during the time of Christ. But like so many of those people, they wanted the Romans gone. They wanted a physical earthly kingdom established that was going to benefit them in the here and now in some material way. And that's, that's what they thought that they wanted, right? And Jesus does not deliver on that. Why? Like out of love. And what does he get for it? <laughs> we all know yeah. uh, how that story doesn't quite end, but we know it's first ending. And, um, but at the same time, um, there are people that might not understand fully what he's doing, but they love him enough to stick around. Mm-hmm. They love him, you know, Lord, to whom else shall we go? Like, you have the words of eternal life. Like, they love him enough to stick around, even if they don't fully get it. 
And Jesus knows that like, he's playing the long game. Like he's totally playing the long game with our salvation. And so he doesn't turn the stones into bread. He doesn't jump off the temple. He doesn't do the things that the people closest to him immediately want. And he loses people, you know, could he have converted more of Jerusalem, more of the Jewish people, if he had catered to what they wanted? Well, absolutely. I mean, sure. I mean, that's speculation, but probably, (laughs) you know, but in light of eternity and in light of his mission, you know, Mm -hmm. for all of us, for our redemption, he just couldn't do that. And I know that's not an answer exactly (laughs) to our dilemma here. But I think it can speak to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it speaks in favor of the love, the compassion to everyone, right? As Jesus showed, like to the outcast, to the marginalized, but in a way that doesn't compromise the core of mm-hmm. the mission, which is ultimately redemption. Because I think that's where we're going to find some of the solutions, quote unquote, to these difficult issues is is going back to the gospel and trying to look at what from the life of Christ is applicable to these situations. I think that's where we're going to find like Beth, like what you're saying, the thing that's most in line, that's where we're going to find the movement in our particular situation. I think where I kind of would love to continue and, and, and flush out that in the culture right now that, that gay or lesbian is, is an adjective to some people. It's just a, a descriptor. You know, but for many, it becomes a source of identity and the, the gay community and things like Pride Month really create a sense of identity and place for people experiencing same-sex attraction. And I'm wondering, how do we root our identity in Christ rather than our sexuality or our vocation or our relationship status or, 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 you know? Because I think people are looking to know who they are and they're looking to know their purpose in life. Uh, And so we have this element, like Shannon was saying, of our filial identity to know deeply that we are chosen and beloved by God. Uh, And that ultimately, you know, we belong to him as his child. But within our theology, we're not called to just sit there. We need to retreat there very frequently. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we need to embrace that in our own life. But we need to offer a way that that is going to be fulfilled, like in a life of virtue and in a life with Christ. Uh, We need to be offering those elements to people because I think that's one of the biggest obstacles a lot of times to people who either don't want to enter the church or who leave the church is you don't know how to live. How am I going to live? Right? Like these vocations, like I'm, I'm not going to be married. Not going to enter a religious life or priesthood. Those are kind of closed doors to me and all of my friends are getting married. And what is there for me? What is my life? What's my purpose? How do I give of myself? We need to have those answers for people. We need to have ways to invite those people into our own families, into our own communities to say, you belong here. You, you don't just belong here, but like you belong to me. You know, you're my family. We need to be able to do that as a church. Uh, otherwise, they're going to look for that someplace else because those are things we all want. Well, I think so often we, you know, we start from a really young age introducing people to these ideas of big V vocation, <laughs> you know, uh, marriage and religious life. And there's a debate in different dioceses and different circles if the single life is a vocation, you know. 
if that's even valid, you know, <laughs> and we spend so much time, you know, focusing on that a lot at a young age for good reason. You know, there's a lot of good reasons for it. But I think then sometimes for people that don't, their lives don't fit nice and neatly into one of those two mm-hmm. categories. Totally. And as we all know, for people that are in one of those two categories, quote unquote, I'm sure as you can testify, Jenna, life is anything but nice and neat. Um, so not to say that's an easy way out by any means. But there's a bit more developed about it. There's a bit more developed theology. There's a bit more developed about pastoral approaches mm-hmm. in yeah. those particular permanent vocations. And so I think there is that reality that if people don't fit in, you know, into one of those permanent vocations, at least on paper, that you, there's, you could feel a little adrift. Or you could feel a little bit of a sense of, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, God, what are you doing? Or how do I give of myself or develop my charisms? Or am I just kind of waiting for the permanent vocation to, for God to land that plane, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard it, people it, refer to yeah. it as being a vocational orphan. Mm. Yeah, just feeling left out when the vocations were passed out. <laughs> Or worse, that you're deficient in some way because you don't fit. And like what a tragedy to like to not have a church then like living fully alive because we're not like willing to have some of those conversations. You know, like if in in feeling left orphan. And so we do, again, we do need to be talking about how you're called to live, you know, like as bride, as bridegroom, how you're called to live making a gift of yourself. Uh, even as, as a single person, because this, I mean, yes, we're all, you know, like waiting for the eternal wedding feast, but we're moving in that time frame, right? We're moving. And so like, how can we move in this? <laughs> Grow in holiness. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I would love to hear from you both. What's helped you to come fully alive? What's been important on this journey for you of becoming you know, as we all desire to be a whole person. Do you know what I mean by that? Like the healthiest version of yourself. Right. Honestly, (laughs) uh, you know, I could give beautiful answers of spending all this time in prayer, uh, which has been fruitful going on retreats and doing stuff like that. But I think what has been most fruitful for me has having like dynamic friend groups and by encountering just like the fullness of life, Mm -hmm. encountering you know, uh, for me, that's been singing for like enjoying hiking and, and going on trips and being able to encounter like, again, like the dynamism of life, Yeah. Uh, to encounter, uh, the fullness that like this, this life, what this life has to offer, uh, but that are like four tastes of heaven. Right. Mm. And I think that's, what's, that's, what's drawn me on. That's, what's motivated me in desiring to pursue, right, to pursue holiness is knowing that like, oh my gosh, I've tasted and I've seen the goodness of the Lord. (laughs) I've tasted these moments of beauty and I long for more. And so I want to live in pursuit of that, you know, watching a beautiful sunset or for me standing under a waterfall, (laughs) you know, and just encountering sheer beauty that's so much bigger than myself. uh, I think for me has been a huge, huge part in, in just the daily pursuit. And I would absolutely, I would echo that. And I think as well, having, um, just having like accidental idols uh, torn down. Mm. You know, for me, a few years ago, I I, I was in full-time ministry for a number of years and I ended up uh, leaving, like quitting my job 
a little bit unexpectedly, a little bit suddenly, and was left um, in a space of just not knowing what was next and feeling really rocked, to be honest with you, and, and just feeling like this core part of my identity as like worker in God's vineyard <laughs> had just been like suck, you know, whatever metaphor yeah. you want to use. It's like torn out from under me. It was just, it was really jarring and it was really challenging for me. Um, I definitely felt like it was what I was supposed to do. It was what God was calling me to do was to leave that job that I was in. But I really wrestled for several months with like what, okay, God, what do you want? Like what, who am I? <laughs> like who am I when I'm not working in ministry? And so for me, it was just so funny because I think so many people, like we're talking about identity with, you know, same-sex desires taking over your life. And I was like, I think for me, the identity that I needed sunk was like that my job was my identity. And um, I was, I just felt like the, the phrase I was using as I was like kind of going through that period was I realized I was living as like God's employee and not as like God's daughter. And mm. And so for me, I think that was a huge thing to then be able to embrace some of the things that Shannon was talking about mm -hmm. in a much richer way in my own life. And then just to embrace more of my own complexity mm -hmm. um, rather than to over identify in one particular area that seemed good. You know, it was a gradual, I, I didn't like start off to make work my idol, but it happened. And, and I think, you know, for all of us, there, there's probably different ways. I mean, right now there's probably idols that are creeping up that I haven't, you know, better check my blind spots, right? My rear view mirror. But you know, I think that's a, a piece of it for all of us is there's these little idols that, that creep up into something bigger if we're not vigilant, you know, in our prayer and in our time with the Lord. So I, that would be another piece as well. Mm -hmm. So I think just be vigilant to those things that, and, and that we overemphasize perhaps mm -hmm. as we look at ourselves, as we look at our life. What is the answer you would say to that kiddo in the front row? Like, what is the answer today? Is it come to Eden Invitation and you have friendships that understand you and or understand this part of you and this is what the church offers to you? Like, what is the answer now? I think it would depend on their questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, to be honest, I, I think I would first go on a long walk <laughs> yeah. and I would I say, that. what's on your heart? <laughs> what's on your mind? What's going on? You know, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus, you know, he, he draws up alongside the two disciples that are leaving, right? Who have seen Jesus die. They've actually heard, we found out later, they've heard a rumor of the resurrection, but they're still walking away. Um, and Jesus draws up alongside them and listens in a little bit, you know, getting a feel for things and saying, well, what are you talking about? T tell me more. What are you discussing? They just pour out their hearts. And it's only after that, that Jesus then kind of tailors his response to mm. what they're looking for. Yeah. He listens to their specific questions to provide mm -hmm. the tailored answers. And so I think that's the, that's the approach, right? With that kid, that's what I would, that's what I would do with that kid. And the answer would include, you know, the, the beauty of the Christian life. It would include uh, the, just the rich tapestry of our own like embodiment and anthropology and, the great hope that belongs to us, you know, the, by virtue of our baptism, an invitation into the, the love of Christ as, you know, the fulfillment of all desire. But what I'd emphasize and the way I'd emphasize it would greatly depend on their own deeper questions mm -hmm. and why they were asking the questions that they were. I love that. So much of, of all of this is just about relationship and about walking with each other. And that's something that is really important to me just in my own life to the people who have kept walking with me, even when I've struggled or 
you know, seemingly fallen down or mm-hmm. what do they, what does Bethel say? Like, she's like on the edge of the cliff and someone grabs her back and, mm. you know, so I, I, I really, really love that. Thank you for saying that. And I think, I think that can be harder said than done at times, mm. you know, for us to walk alongside someone laying aside our own um, preconceived notions or what we think we know about the situation and really just walking with that person and talking to them and asking questions. Like you said, like, I, I just think that's really beautiful and something I'll definitely internalize in my own life. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that. And I wanted to say this at the beginning too, Anna, we listened to your episode with Claire over at the Catholic feminist and oh, yeah. really loved it. Yeah. And we're going to put it in our show notes for anyone listening that's a great interview to go hear Anna share more of her story. And Shannon, we didn't get to listen to yours yet, but I know that you were on her podcast as well. So I'm going to share that in the show notes for great. for anyone to be able to go hear more about Anna and Shannon's story in their hearts. And just thank you guys so much for your honesty and any friendship that kind of is able to call me out and draw more out of me is really special to me. And so I appreciate sharing your perspective and hearing more of, of your guys's heart. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys so much, you know, so much for having us on and for your own hearts, you know, of wanting to engage this and uh, just conversations. Absolutely. And which, you know, obviously to get to know us. And, and I think also, you know, you've brought up throughout this conversation, um, the work of Blessed Is She and the efforts there to make a safe space for women regardless of, you know, where they're at in their own faith journey, um, knowing that we're all <laughs> wrestling with different things. And so just thank you for the work, uh, not only for inviting us onto this podcast, but really the work that you do. Um, I know it's a huge benefit to, to so many, so many women. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks, friends. All right, should we pray? Let's do it. Yeah. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, thank you. Um, thank you for who you are. Thank you for showing up again and again. Thank you for asking all the right questions and for leaning in and listening. I ask you right now to um, enter into this moment and to ask those um, sometimes painful and ultimately beautiful questions to uncover our deepest needs and desires. And we ask for the grace to lean into your gaze, to rest upon your heart. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks, gals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks for having us. This is great. <laughs> thanks so much for gathering with us here on the Blessed Is She podcast. Send over all your questions using the Anchor app. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us at blessedishe.net slash community and join us on all your favorite social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I love Twitter. Until next time.